named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to another episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Sam Hunter from Home Search. I am not joined today as ever by Mark Worrell from Love to Move. Mark is off uh, this week enjoying a family holiday. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, dear listener, you are stuck with the nasal tones of Sam Hunter this morning, which is why we are just going to move straight into today's episode, uh, which was one that I've actually just finished recording. Uh, and the reason I'm not doing an introduction for very long is because we got a bit carried away and had a very engaging conversation, but it went longer than our usual 20 or 25 minutes. So without further ado, and without Mark Worrell, let's jump in and introduce today's guest. Today's guest is a well-established figure within the Fine and Country team and an outstanding leader and role model for both his brand and our industry. He's passionate about property and he has a wealth of success stories for helping people move and secure the best price for their homes. When he's not selling, he delivers consultancy training to Fine and Country agents from all across the UK. We got to know him last year as the man delivering the good news throughout the pandemic. Jonathan Hanford, welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Very, You're very welcome. I feel like it's a privilege to talk to you. I actually did get to know you in your wig last year, uh, sitting there delivering the good news when we needed it most. So well done and, and thank you for that. Um, usually we sort of, and, and Mark would usually start this interview, um, but I said to you off air, he's, he's off uh, caravanning around the UK at the moment. And we, we usually sort of start talking about how our guests first got into a state agency, but I, um, I was doing some homework on you yesterday on my bank holiday as I was like tending to my sunburn. Um, and I'm more interested to talk about something that I saw um, in your bio that in 2019, you were recognized as the best overall operator out of 325 fine and country offices across the world. So rather than talking about just the start and hot boxes and mistakes and learning from them and everything like that. Can you talk us through perhaps a couple of key moments in your career that set you up to achieve that kind of success? Uh, sure. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It's been a, it's been quite a long journey. Um, this is my 21st year as an estate agent. I started originally as a carpenter. I guess if there was one thing that um, I carried from that previous profession into this new one that's stood the test of time, it's measure twice and cut once. Um, so you, uh, funny enough, we've just come back from a week away in Devon with uh, with my wife and the, and the mother-in-law and she constantly mocked me for always having a plan for each and every day, which seems a little bit sad, but I think to get the best of everything, you've got to, you've got to plan. And if you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So, you know, I can distinctly remember at the start of that year when writing my business plan, I'd actually wrote into it to be the best finding country agent in the world. Um, that was a tangible goal that I'd set myself um, and for our team, which, you know, the award was, and it's fair to say, wasn't just for myself, it was for the Leamington Spa operation. So it's also all of the people 
right the way through to the coalface estate agents, the administrators that are part of that team. They're all recognised with that award, not just myself. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, one of the, the, the key fundamentals of achieving it was setting that goal in the first instance. In terms of the the... The, the, the tasks, the activity to then go on and to secure that. For me, it was all about customer service. And we live in a, we live in a world that's driven by marketing and technology and prop tech and all of those things. And they're a fundamental part of what we do. But actually, it all falls down if you haven't got the people that are capable of delivering world-class, world-class service um, on the front line. You know, and that's what we really pride ourselves on. And that's what we focus upon. The people that are part of our team, you know, I, I think they're the best at what they do. They're the best at what the industry has to offer. You know, and that's the feedback that we get from our clients. So you can have the best marketing and you can have the best tech. But unless you've got the best people delivering the best service, it all falls apart. Does that make sense? It does. It probably makes a dangerous amount of sense. Um, speaking very frankly, let's talk about people for a second. And, and this is where I said to you, I had a planned question, but I'm not going to ask it because this is way more interesting. Um, I agree with you. I love that what you just said, that we live in a world that's driven by marketing and protect, but it's really all about customer service. You don't have the people to deliver on your promises. It doesn't happen. So what do you look for in those people? How do you recognize that you have found someone or you're going to develop someone or you're bringing somebody into this business that is expected to run a certain way for your clients? How do you know that you're getting the right people? Um, so it, it, it's things like their values, uh, the things that they stand for. Um, yeah, and an interesting fact of all of the people that work in my Leamington Spa team, only one had previous experiences working as an estate agent. So every single person bar one in that team had never sold a house before, before working at Finding Country Leamington Spa. Some straight out, in fact, two straight out of university, one had worked within um, uh, selling electrical products for a um, uh, for a building merchant firm. Um, so quite an eclectic mix of people that are part of that team. But in my eyes, nobody with bad habits from other agents before stepping into the fine and country fold. So the sort of questions that you ask is, you know, how do you recognise and deliver outstanding customer service? Give me an example when you've been on the receiving end. Give me an example of when you've delivered outstanding customer service. And that to me is, is so important. But the other thing is the importance of everybody working together um, and gelling as a team. Um, and I think that esprit de corps is something that your competition cannot replicate. You know, they can copy your marketing. They can buy in your prop tech. Everything that you do, they can imitate. But the one thing that they can't buy is, is that team spirit, that, that uh, camaraderie, that ability to be able to work together and pull in the same direction. And again, there's, there's different models for finding country across the UK, but it's specifically in our business, everybody's self-employed. We all work with the banner, but we all work independently. Um, and most people looking from the outside in, imagine this feisty environment where people are stabbing each other in the back in order to be able to get sales across the line. And in my 20 plus years of doing this job, I've worked in some of those environments where you can't leave your desk for five minutes for somebody rifling through a hot box, taking out your best applicants. And 
you know, within finding country limits and spa, that's just not the culture that we've got. Um, despite the fact that people live by the sword and die by the sword, actually the teamwork is incredible and everyone works together and everyone works for this common goal. And, you know, that I'm incredibly grateful for. I don't have to ever adjudicate on disputes between team members. You know, it, it just never happens because we have rules of engagement. Everyone knows them. We all work to them and we all work together for that common good. And I guess it's looked at through the lens of what's right for the customer. Um, so, you know, and if everybody plays by that, then you've got this great environment where everybody can achieve their absolute best results and, you know, work to achieve the incredible goals that we have. And you know, I'm so grateful for the people that I've worked with. And it's why we've set so many records and sold so many of the most expensive properties in all the postcode districts in and around the town and surrounding and in neighbouring towns as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm just I'm very grateful for the people in the business that I work with. Mm. Um, I think it, it comes across. Um, in the way that you sort of just then have spoken about your team and, and all the other stuff that I sort of see as well. Um, culture is an interesting point because I've, I've sat in offices um, on, on both sides of the world where uh, it's felt right and where it's felt quite cutthroat as well. You spoke about sort of rules of engagement. Um, maybe we could come back to that. But the other thing that before I go there, I think it's really important to highlight is uh, you, you said that regardless of what those rules are, they exist to serve the client not to actually serve the salespeople, and i think that that's the really important thing you know i always say to our team like my job in our business is to work for my team their job is to work for our clients if we both achieve what we need to do everything kind of takes care of itself so um to hear you sort of say that we have these rules and we have this culture as an ultimate tool of service for the people that actually give us the opportunity to do what we do i think is a really important thing because too often they're there to serve the business or they're there to serve the individuals. And, and there's that piece of connection between customer and, and business that's missing. So uh, would you be willing to talk us through some of those rules of engagement? Yes, certainly. Look, you know, in its most basic form, the service level agreements um, in terms of how, how often, how frequently you should be servicing your, your, your clients. I'll give you an example, vendors. I would say the number one reason why a vendor would disinstruct um, an estate agent is lack of communication. It's that's fair to say, and you know, I hate to use the, um, the, the 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 dreaded portal right move as an example, but I remember a figure that Marshall I quoted years ago, who said more than fifty percent of all instructions swap to another agent before selling. You know, more than half. You know, why why do so many people switch? estate agents and I think if you lined up all of those vendors and asked them the number one reason would be a lack of communication and the issue that most agents have is after they've put a property onto the market if it doesn't sell straight away they don't know what to do they're literally at a loss as to what the next step is so rather than sitting down and eyeing out the creases and talking to their sellers and saying these are your range of options these are all of the things that you can do they will just let them rot in the back of the file, back of the file, in the back of the drawer, hoping that some miraculous unicorn buyer comes along and picks up that instruction and takes it off their books. And we don't. We have a policy where we do marketing reviews every couple of weeks, where we will sit down with our sellers and we will talk them through everything that we've done in terms of presentation, exposure, and service. We will look at all of the individual viewings. What's the feedback? What's the patterns? What can we do to improve our chances of selling? We'll look at all the things that we can do to stimulate the market including price realignments um, extra marketing campaigns and that distinct 
pattern of communication is enough to placate your vendors and so that they know that you're doing everything you can to keep on top of that. Now, our rules of engagement are that our listers, uh, the people that take these instructions, they go through that process with their sellers and providing everybody's doing that, you, you're working to the vendor's needs first and foremost. Now, sometimes there is absolutely zero action from one of those meetings. But the outcome is that the vendor knows that you care and they understand everything that you've done to try and sell that house. And it might extend the life of the listing. It might then make it easier for you to take corrective measures the next time that you do a marketing review. But you can't just leave them in the dark. And, you know, I remember, funny enough, one of your... Um, uh, uh, one of your fellow country countrymen, a lady called Fiona Blaney, she talked about this years ago. She said, no news is still news. And she talked about it at a conference, and it's so true. You know, if you're waiting for a buyer regarding an offer, but they haven't made that offer yet, and you haven't had any contact with them, you can still call your vendor and say, just so you know, I haven't had any comms with them yet. I'll keep on top of them, or when I get something back, I'll let you know. If you don't make that phone call, the vendor just assumes that you're not chasing that person. So, you know, expert marketing and brilliant prop tech are great, but that, that that basic communication, that's still the most important thing that you can do. 100%. I think um, my I was a, a PA for a couple of years when I started out my career, which was the back end of the GFC. Not a lot was selling, even less was listing. Everyone was just banding down the hatches. Um, and two sort of things that I uh, learned from that very, very quickly were that you've got to call your clients every day. Um, and then on the days where nothing happens, that's when you've got to call them before you call the people that does. And you need to say, Jonathan, just to let you know, nothing happened yesterday. We had no inquiry. We had no new offers, nothing. And I was thinking, what? you know, I'm this 22-year-old, my heart's pounding, just listening to the stories that I might have. And I was like, why would you do that? Because that makes it easier when you go and sit in front of them and have that marketing review every couple of weeks to say, this is how many times we've spoken. And this is how many times we've spoken about nothing. So we need to change something so that we have more to talk about then nothing happened yesterday or nothing. Now there's not that too much of that, I think happening in this market, but markets ebb and flow markets change over time as well. So one, that was one of the biggest surprises that I had when I, when I got to England, I was thinking, right, if I can sell a house in London, I'm going to be capable of selling houses anywhere, maybe capable of anything. Who knows? There was this sort of mystique um, and, and glamour about it, I guess. And I was really surprised to find that, client contact or vendor contact was once a week and it was a phone call and it was just like we've had this many inquiries and this many viewings and we'll text you when we get the next one and that's why 50 percent of people exactly you're exactly right that's that's why they they move on because they, they think that nothing is happening behind the scenes it's why people commoditize what we do because they think that it's just get a copy of the keys cut open the door show somebody through they give you a number you say yes or no Maybe you do it three or four times and then you put the SSTCs on it when there is so much more behind the scenes. You're exactly right. Communication that's is difference. all. That's the difference between being an administrator and a consultative salesperson that's actually there to orchestrate the sale and, you know, to, to, to make things happen. Um, but the administrator is the person that's going to turn up, open the door, do a viewing just by letting them walk around and, you know, absolute basic stuff. But you know, you've got to go a bit above and beyond. And then, Sorry to interrupt. There's a, one of my colleagues, a chap called Nigel Plaskett in the Finding Country Stratford office, he said something that's, um, that was incredibly profound for me. He said that if your vendor has called you, you're already too late. Mm. 
you know, and it's so true. You, if you ever have that situation where you've got an instruction, you look at your phone and you see their name coming up, you think, oh, they're on my list of people to call. It's already too late. The vendor's having to chase you and it changes the dynamic of that relationship. You need to always be getting in there first. And that's at the point where that vendor thinks, these guys are on it, you know, they've got game, they, they know exactly what my needs are and they'll be doing this with the buyers that are interested in my property as well. So you eliminate any insecurities that they have over their decision to pick you as an agent. 100%. And for me, uh, good real estate is, is about maintaining control throughout that. And so you've got to then dictate when, you know, you can ask a question, Jonathan, when would you like to be communicated with? You know, the kids, we drop the kids off at nursery at 7.30 in the morning. It'd be great if I could just read a text message after that or if you could give me a call while I'm in the car or something like that. And so then you're actually able to set that up and make that regular. And it doesn't become this onerous task that you've got to be doing, whether it's every day, whether it's every week. I don't sort of shove down people's throats what I think you should be doing, but teeing that up to make sure that people know what it is and then diarising it with them every single time goes a really long way into making sure that they don't answer anyone else's calls um and then make sure that you're going to keep them for as long as you need to to get them the result because even in the market and i want i do want to ask a question about this market actually but even now uh there is a really like high expectation of great price great result great time frame from everybody because they've been seeing the news it's very positive when you're sitting down with somebody and you're valuing but you've got to be prepared to have those courageous conversations ahead of time otherwise those three things just drag out and you're giving one of your competitors probably the lesser fee more of an opportunity to come in and take the rug on from underneath you yeah um, agree one of the questions i did want to sort of ask you is actually about you sort of mentioned it before um there's quite a, a, a positive market and i think we're smack bang in the middle now i don't think that we're near the end of it i don't think we're near the start of it but we're, we're in the middle of a market where um there is a lot of of buyer activity a lot of activity really you know there's a lot of arming and iron but there's a lot of people who are quite keen to get moving um, and i think that there's more pressure now um, to win the instruction than there is to sell it you know certainly from agency circles you know everyone wants to make sure they get another well-priced instruction at a fair fee that they know they can move forward with um, the, the sale will inevitably take care of itself with good service with good marketing so um, i'm going to come back to your successes along journey and measuring twice but cutting once right so in your 21 years what's what do you think what has experience taught you that is the most important thing that you've got to nail on every listing appointment to give yourself you know the best chance of walking away with the business in my 21 years what is the most important things regarding a listing so winning an instruction or just evaluation appointments winning the instruction so there was a Many moons ago, there were four questions that I used to ask myself. And if I could get a yes to three of these four, I'd take the instruction. For me, it's not about whether you win the listing or not. It's whether you want the listing or not. And that is a complete change in mindset. And, you know, we will we will walk away from listings if they don't fit our profile. We're an upper quarter old agent. We, there's a certain type and style that we work with. Um, but that's the actual um, the tangibles of the property. But then you've also got the dynamic of the sale. So question one, is the vendor motivated? Question two, is it the right price? Question three, is the fee above 2%? And question four, are they having a for sale sign? Yes or no. So if I used to get three 
ticks out of the four there, I'd take the instruction. There might be one thing that I'd take a compromise on. I might compromise if the vendor isn't that motivated, but it's the right price, the fees above 2%, and they're going to have a board. I could take a hit with that. And again, sometimes you'd put an instruction on if it was a bit too money, uh, too much money, if it was the right uh, fee, the vendor was motivated and they were having a board. Um, as years have evolved at finding country specifically, we added in um, VPA, which I think is what you call back home, vendor yeah. paid advertising. You know, and I've been out and worked with agents like McGrath in Sydney. Um, and I've seen the way that they operate and the, the, the checks that they take off a seller in advance of putting the property to the market. But the level of marketing was out of this world. And, you know, that's something that we wanted to emulate. So, you know, we, we have charged... A, a contribution to our marketing up front now for 10, 15 years. You know, it's a staple part of what we do. So instead of there being four, there's now five questions that we ask. And if you get four out of those five, however, one of them is the non-negotiable and that's the vendor paid advertising. You know, we want to be able to promote our properties to the highest possible standard with a video, with a drone, um, with professional photography, with floor plans, with a big 24 page booklet, with a journalist interview. You know, and it, it, you probably see the stacks of brochures behind me in that cabinet. They're all properties that I've sold in the last couple of years. The one on the top shelf down from the orange row, um, everything there is a million pound plus, which where I live in Leafy, Leamington Spa, that's quite a lot of money. There's not that many houses that sell at that sort of level. Um, but we wouldn't command those instructions if we didn't maintain our standards in terms of marketing. So for me, it's if I get a four out of five of those things, it's a vendor motivated, it's a fee above 2%, is it the right price? Are they having a board and are they going to do vendor paid advertising up front? Then I'll take the instruction. But it's not whether I can win it, it's whether I want it. I like that. Uh, I'm going to break that down and talk more about that uh, after we sort of finish our conversation. Um, can we talk about VPA for a sec? Because I like no one listening to this could see the smile on my face when you mentioned that. Um, I, again, one of the other sort of things that I uh, kind of blew me away was was uh, I would never have uh, absorbed any liability for any of my clients because at the end of the day, the decision to sign that contract where I would end up getting paid was not mine. I was yeah. there to be the conduit of information. I was there to facilitate a marketing campaign, an auction campaign, a viewing campaign, however you want to call it, uh, and then a negotiation campaign at the end of it. Hopefully we would agree something between two parties and everyone would, would win. Um, what sort of VPA are you asking for? So a minimum of £1,000 plus VAT. Cool. Um, and in some properties, it can be as much as two, £3,000, um, subject to the size of the property and the campaign that's necessary. But it's a minimum of £1,000 plus that. And what's the reaction you get from, uh, admittedly, to, to some of the people who are listening to this now, they won't be operating in that million pound plus market. Um, so perhaps then the the figures would then be adjusted to whatever level of service that they wanted to operate in, in, in their areas. But what are the sort of reactions that you get from people? Or do you give them some kind of pre-list kit that actually informs them of what you'll be talking about ahead of time so it's not this shock to the system? Um, so one of the things that I can do is when I talk through the pricing part of the market appraisal process, I tend to use finding country comparables because we've sold most of the things in that price bracket. So I put out property brochures of all the houses that I've sold 
and everyone can see this generic way of promoting property with a standard brochure. So there aren't some that are cobbled together with two pages and another four pages. Each one's got its own defined booklet. Mm. So there is a there is almost a table full of social proof of people that have picked finding country and had success. Uh, had success. Now there are. There are one in 10 people that say, I'm not paying that. And I said, that's absolutely fine. I wish you luck. I hope it all goes well. I'm here if you need any help or advice. And, you know, let's keep in touch and then I'll walk away. You know, I'm not there to convince them otherwise. They either want finding country and see the value in the marketing or they don't. And I accept that there are going to be some people that just absolutely won't pay. And I don't want to waste my time and energy trying to convince somebody of all of the benefits of it. You either buy into what we're offering or you don't. And if you don't, that's fine. There's an agent out there that's perfectly catered to, uh, to, to, your, to your needs and your requirements. So I want to work with the people that recognize that we promote properties to a, you know, a very unique standard and they see the value in that and they want to pay our fee and, uh, and obviously pay our contribution. So pick your battles but the person that yeah and I've been there in the past where I've worked really hard because I've looked at the house and gone wow I could sell this house and I've got buyers and I can do a really grand job it'd look great in our window display I'm gonna um I'm gonna convince this person I've convinced them and I've twisted their arm behind their back and they've been an absolute pain in the backside throughout the entire process so you're better to cut and run from those individuals and focus on the ones that are hell bent on using your service and you know and specifically want finding country and i think the secret is it is never to lower your standards because if you go okay well i'll put this listing on but i won't do professional photographs or a brochure or anything else then you show a crack in your armor and then other people can use that and then you have to take listings on at the same standard and then all of a sudden your um, perfect way of presenting properties is um, you know diluted almost absolutely yeah um, the, the, like I said there's that crack in the armour that other people use and then also you tend to get recommendations from people that are happy with your service so you know if you've done it at 1% with no upfront fee you're going to get recommendations from their friends and they're going to want 1% with no upfront fee so you've got this um, uh, domino effect that's going to uh, obviously benchmark you at that level for the future and you know we've been really good at walking away it's interesting whenever I get a new person start within the business um, and we've got offices all across the Midlands you um, you people are instruction hungry at the start they'll do anything they can to get an instruction and the people that have come from other agents when you tell them that they've got a commander fee of two and a half percent and a thousand pounds plus VAT up front you, you can see the fear of God entering into them. I think, well, I'm just never going to be able to command that because they've, they've just not been used to doing it. So you're better to take somebody that's got absolutely no fear, uh, that doesn't understand. And, that, and it's interesting, you can get somebody with 10 years experience and you can get somebody with 10 minutes experience and the person with 10 minutes experience will go out there blindly, they'll pick up instructions and the person with 10 years experience will just be dumbfounded. They... So they won't understand how that person is able to do it. And, you know, they've never known anything other than that. So they've got no reason to have any fear or, uh, or worry that they'll lose the listing. I mean, that you've just surmised there, I think, where um, we talked about this before we hit record. The, the future of the industry is going. It is those people without that fear. Um, and it is uh, a professionalism that is creeping, but faster than it has perhaps in the past. 
creeping its way into the industry about a, a different way of doing things. You know, I, I really um, try and avoid that term disruption because I think it has negative uh, connotations. But I think that um, the work that you've just described and have been doing for 10 years or 15 years um, and that you're seeing more and more now is transformative. It's transforming the industry into what, you know, realising the potential of what people actually deserve when they're buying selling houses and actually what state agents deserve for going through some of the emotional turmoil of helping those people buy and sell houses. Um, there's two questions I want to sort of uh, ask you. And I'm really conscious of your time. Um, firstly, we're coming into the summer. You and I are sitting watching the sunshine come in our windows at the moment like that. I was saying to you before that it's, it hasn't been uh, many times this year I've walked back from the gym and thought I could stay outside today. Um, usually now is when the market is starting to ramp up a bit. You know, we're going to be end of half term this week uh, and then it goes a bit bananas until August. It's, it's been going bananas for a while now. You said to me you've just come back from a, a week off in Devon, which is why I frantically scribbled this question down because I think actually we've talked about real estate. Now we need to talk about relaxing because I think both of those things go hand in hand. Um, and I got the sense from sort of getting to know you on the internet last year uh, that you're uh, someone who's got a, a mild amount of balance in their life as well. I say that as your like, family dog uh, sons himself in the back as well. So um, everyone's been going hell for leather for a while. How, how important do you think um, it is to switch off? How do you talk to your team about switching off? How do you make sure that everyone is raring to go? How do you switch off, um, et cetera? This question is probably going to backfire spectacularly. My my last viewing was yesterday evening at about half past five <laughs> right. on a bank holiday Monday. So, uh, uh, and also you just used the reference of me being in Devon for a week. I think I did about fifteen to twenty hours of meetings whilst mm. I was away in Devon. Um, <laughs> but but don't get me wrong, it's. It's not about time off. It's about the cohesion between your work and your private life and how you've got this symbiotic relationship between the two. And I, um, yeah, I've got a golf lesson this afternoon. So my third one, I don't play loads, but you know, I'm looking forward to it and I can dip out and I can do that because I'm on my own bars and you know, that's the, uh, the, the pattern of working that I've got. Um, I, can, I worked on Saturday morning, on Saturday afternoon, I come back, I decorated a room and spent the Sunday doing it. And then I was out viewing again yesterday. And, you know, I guess at Fine Country, we've got this self-employed associate thing. You've got that opportunity to dip in and out, but I'll still be doing emails and text messages and WhatsApps and Facebook and LinkedIn and TikTok and Instagram going through till 10, 11 o'clock at night but I don't see it as work. Mm. Um, I, when I was a joiner, when I was a chippy, you know, you'd be in the workshop at 8 a.m. and then you'd be there till 6 p.m. And if you're doing a build-up for an exhibition or something like that, you'd do three or four days solid and you could be doing 12, 15 hour days. But I go back to when I was in the workshop doing an eight till six, you would be, you'd be in that workshop and you'd be looking up at the clock at four o'clock thinking, bloody hell, it's only four o'clock. I've still got another two hours to go. You know, within this profession, you look at your clock and you're like, Christ, it's four o'clock already. I've got so much to do before I've got to finish the day and so many people to get back to. Um, and it's interesting. I've got um, a few different roles within the business now. You mentioned training, but 
I'm also on the board at Finding Country as a non-executive director. So on a strategic basis, I help them with the growth of the business and other things. Now, I don't think I could, I, 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 I own a business where we've got offices in Leamington Spa, Stratford upon Avon um, and Droitwich Spa. So we cover, well, we cover three counties effectively. And I could spend all of my time doing that, but I choose not to. I've got partners that run the individual locations so I can spend time on the coalface selling houses. You know, I, I really enjoy it. I'm going to, I'm on target to bring in £400,000 worth of fee value this year. Um, and interesting, I don't take any valuation inquiries. I work purely off recommendations. It's only the people that call me on my mobile. And I, I don't think I will ever be able to step away from that. I can't ever see me retiring because I absolutely live and breathe this job and I, I love what I do. And I think that's half the battle. If you don't see it as a job, then you're kind of doing what you enjoy anyway. So, mm. you know, it's it's not a hardship to me at all. And I've had this conversation with friends when we're out for a meal and, you know, they're saying, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm booking a viewing on this listing. And they say, but it's 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. Why don't you just like switch off and put your phone down? it's an email it's not the end of the world I've just sent an email booking that view in I've booked it in for Monday they know that it's in the vendor knows that it's in it's one thing off my to-do list that I don't have to worry about and it's I'm not carrying a sheet of chipboard up five flights of stairs <laughs> you know it's one email it's not the end of the world so and interestingly people have always asked the question well how does your wife feel about this well my wife works at Finer Country so she she understands exactly what we do and you know, she, you know, she's okay with it. But there are other things where I can dip out and I can go and watch my son in a football lesson or take him to the driving range for golf or go and pick him up from school. And, you know, it, it, it's it, there is a balance to it. But I think the most important thing is to enjoy what you do as well. I think um, we've talked about this on the show before, that if you strive for a work-life balance, it's, it's two opposing forces that you're always trying to level off against each other. Whereas if you have a work-life blend, it's it's life you know um and and whatever happens happens next if it's a swimming lesson for your daughter if it's and it's the same thing with us like i was sitting uh, uh charlotte went down for a nap yesterday lissy puts on this is us i'm sitting there returning emails so i didn't have to really stress about anything that happened over the weekend today because i got it done yesterday while we're sitting there watching tv it isn't the case of i did a uh, eight months of a electrician apprenticeship uh, straight out of school before I got into real estate. And that was when I realized that I didn't mind working hard, but I didn't enjoy hard work. <laughs> so I know exactly what you feel when it's not laboring something upstairs. Uh, believe me. Um, one, of the, one of the questions that we sort of finish on whenever we speak to anybody on this show um, is uh, we call this the world-class agency podcast, not because um, either anybody who's come on the show uh, lays claim to being world-class, nor do Mark and I, but it's something that I think everyone should strive towards. It's part of the process. If you have that sort of mindset and that mentality, then the customer will help you get there because you get recommendations, referrals, and people only call you a mobile phone, or you will end up building a better business and a better life than you will if you're just treating it like a job, which is where I think actually a lot of the um, gains can be made in this industry. So what does, in your 21 years of experience, and um, we've probably gone over some of it already today, but to surmise it nicely for anyone who just fast forwards through the conversation and listens to this question as we ask everybody, what does world-class estate agency look like to Jonathan Hanford? Um, 
only because it's on the forefront of my mind because I watched it yesterday evening. Um, I watched the documentary on Sir Alex Ferguson, Never Give In. And it was incredible to watch the highs and lows of that man's career over 50, 60 years, um, where he'd been up, he'd been down, he'd been up, he'd been down. And I... Uh, and, I, and I think if I look back over my 21 years, I've had that as well. I've had some great things. We've been on stage and won the best agent in the UK. I've won um, the, uh, the the best finding country operator in the world. We've had some hardships. We've had what you call a GFC, which we called the, uh, the, 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 the credit crunch. Um, you know, and I remember last year as we... Um, as we faced the pandemic and we'd had to shut all of our offices down and like our, our pipe bombs about to get a bash in and nobody quite knew what to have, what was going to happen. You had to reinvent your way, reinvent yourself and keep changing the way that you work. And, you know, I know that you've interviewed uh, Sean Newman on this uh, podcast previously, and I've worked closely with Sean now for, for, for 20 years and he's exhausting to work with because he's, He's so initiative driven. He wants to do he wants to do everything that's new and shiny right now, even if you haven't um, picked up any rhythm with what you'd already introduced. And you have to keep constantly reinventing yourself. But if you do it with that core thing in the in the middle that says, always make sure that the customer's interests are at the forefront of what you do. It's not about you, your business. It's about doing the right thing, right thing by your by your client and by your fee payer. Um, and and uh, and again, never give in, keep changing. If you, not, it's a really good story to finish on. There's another chap called Brendan Pettigrew who I've worked with for years as well, and he has the same degree of passion for the job as I have. We've both driven past a for sale sign on a house that we were thought we were going to get and had to stop and pull over and scream at our steering wheel for a few minutes out of pure frustration that we've lost the instruction. We're not necessarily angry at the vendor. We may be angry at ourselves, maybe angry because we didn't do as good a job in the presentation as we could have, but you can't, um, you've got to move on from that. You've got to, you know, learn and adapt and pick up some new techniques and ways of working to ensure that that doesn't happen again. But yeah, just never give in and, and stick with it and uh, keep working hard. I like that. I think resilience is probably not something that we speak about enough, but it is um, a skill more than and than a trade. I think, and it's developed over time. Um, I, I just to sort of surmise one of the things that you said there. Um, I, I agree with you about reinventing yourself and changing the way that you work. Um, times evolve, people evolve, sellers evolve, customers evolve. For us to be sat in the same seat in the same office over time and not go with them, I think, is actually doing the exact opposite of of the second point that you made which is making sure that their interests are at the forefront of what you do so if they're evolving you need to as well if their expectations are moving you need to as well and that's i think helping us on the path to world class so jonathan hanford thank you um, on behalf of mark uh who's enjoying his holiday me everyone who's listening it's been it's been really enjoyable to have a conversation with you and I'm, there's loads of value there i'm sure everyone will agree so thank you very much for giving up your time brilliant thank you sam thank you for having me a massive thank you once again to Jonathan Hanford from Fine and Country. Uh, as I said uh, in the intro, it was a thoroughly enjoyable, engaging conversation. We did get a little bit carried away, but there was a lot uh, that, that John was able to talk us through in his sort of 21 years. And I think 
starting at the end and working our way backwards is probably a reasonable way to start. I, I don't think you can stress enough that if you work and make sure that your customer interests are always at the forefront of what you do, then you are going to strive and, and move ever closer to having a world-class business and world-class operation. And I think actually with the last 18 months has taught us to sort of double down that point uh, that John mentioned is that you've got to continue to reinvent yourself. You've got to continue to change the way that you work. It might not be, you're not going to change the way they work and that we're not going to sell houses, but we are going to change the way in which we communicate. We are going to change the way in which we market. We are going to change the way in which we serve because the expectations from the people that give us those opportunities to market, to negotiate, to serve are changing as well. And if there's a misalignment there, that's what leads to fee pressure. That's what leads to losing an instruction to somebody who's going in there and asking for two and a half percent plus a thousand pounds up front. And you're thinking, so how did I lose that? It's because you haven't reinvented yourself. You haven't changed the way you work and you're probably not doing what's right for the customer. First things first. So for me, I know I say this every week, but Mark's not here, so he can't pull me up on it and he can't edit me out of this. Uh, that was that was a really solid episode in terms of not only talking about some of the bigger picture, visionary business owner sort of thinking, cultural stuff, but some really nitty gritty practical stuff as well. You know, if you are sitting there talking to somebody about potentially taking their business on, are you concerned with winning the listing or are you concerned with wanting the listing? You know, does things line up about motivation, about price, about fee, about signage, about VPA, if you can start to do that as well? Um, and are you getting those sort of three out of four or four out of five and making the decision based on what you want to be doing, the work that you want to bring on, the business requirements that you want to bring on as well? I think that comes down to um, what John was talking about um in that you know he's just gone on holidays and he had a plan for every day of his holiday uh that I, I can actually relate to so the two best holidays i've ever been on were my honeymoon where we had an itinerary that was actually planned by somebody far more organized than me and we knew what we were doing where we were going and there are a few little surprises in along the way but they were also planned uh, and then another one that we did we went to canada which was all we knew where we wanted to go was we planned what restaurants were we going to eat at every day and we walked our way between breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for seven days through Toronto um, and some really nice sort of countryside parts of Canada and actually understanding where we wanted to be and when we had to get there and then filling the gaps to get there was just, it, it frees you up, I think, um, to actually pursue, you know, for us, the goal of eating uh, in business, the goal of listing, selling, letting more properties, I think, as well. And so if you want to achieve great success, you want to get world-class, you want to reinvent yourself, you want to change the way you work, you want to make sure that you have your customers' interests at the forefront of what you do, you've got to have a goal. You know, you've got to have a plan that gets there. You know, you've got to realize that, as John said, we live in a world that's driven by marketing and driven by prop tech, but actually it's still just about customer service, you know, and understanding how you recognize and deliver that outstanding customer service is that's what's going to separate you from your competition. That's what's going to separate you from who you were as an agent yesterday or who you were as an agent a year ago as well. And I think that that translates across industries as well. Um, I really like what he talked about when we were talking about team spirit. You know, he talked about esprit de corps and having rules of engagement, service level agreements. How often are you going to own the right to actually serve those people? What are you going to do to serve them ahead of time 
so that that earns the right for you to stay in touch with them so they can continue to be your client over time. You know, that's something that I've literally highlighted in my notes in big yellow highlighter as we need to be more clear on that in our own business as well. You know, and I really like the term rules of engagement and having them actually set up from day one with a customer focus rather than a business focus as well. Um, and I think this goes a lot better when there's two people to like bounce off and you're, you're bouncing back and forth of what points stood out to you. I feel like I'm kind of just talking to myself now, even though I'm talking to you, but if I can, and one of the reasons why I wanted to start with the world-class point and then end on this point as a very, very short wrap up is everything I think uh, throughout that entire conversation, whether we were talking about what it took for Jonathan to get to the top of finding country, what he learned over 21 years and talking about success being a long journey, what he learned from being a carpenter, measure once, measure twice and cut once, you know, um, it all comes down to how well can you communicate? You know, communicate is a two-way street. You've got to listen, you've got to bring stuff in, then you've got to be able to deliver it back out. Hopefully, there's some value there that you've taken inside and there's some value that you give back out outside as well. And I think everything um, that we spoke about for that 40 minutes came down to communication. You know, what are the questions that you ask when you're recruiting good people? How well do you communicate your service level agreements, your rules of engagement? How well do you communicate team spirit across there? How well do you know what people stand for? How well do you communicate what you stand for? You know, how well are you talking about good habits and bad habits how well are you communicating your goals not only to your team but to yourself how well are you communicating the goals that you have for your clients so i want to get you sold in 10 days i want to do this marketing campaign for you it costs a thousand pounds how well are you communicating what your expectations of your clients are from you as much as what they can expect from you as well you know so actually i need to communicate to you that you need to be motivated that you need to be on for a reasonable price that the fee needs to be compelling enough for me to actually be able to deliver the service that i've just spent 20 minutes promising you as well um how well do you communicate how important it is to have a signboard out the front so they can tick that third of the fourth box you know and how well are you communicating your standards that was a really interesting point actually to sort of finish on this one at the end of that conversation john said one of the key things for us is never lowering our standards um, and believe me, I've been there. You know, we've, we, I think we probably still lose business every day uh, to people that we've pitched, but we're more expensive too. But we're, we're unwilling to cut our own price in half because it will not allow us to deliver the value. I spoke to, we had the kerfuffle guys in, um, in our office last week for their board meeting. And we had a conversation about a company that uh, Simon Whale used to work for. And he said, if we were to do anything cheaper than what we asked, we were happy to do it, but what the reality of it meant was that we had to strip out all the service from everything we're offering. And that's when people started to have problems. They got the price they wanted, but they didn't get the service that they wanted because we just weren't able to deliver on it. And I think for me, he can say that quite easily from a, a, a like a proven experience. And if someone ever says to you, well, the other guy's going to do it for 1%, ask them, well, are you going to get the service that's required or even that's been promised as well? So never lowering your standards and communicating to people why you don't lower your standards. You know, we achieve the best prices. Regardless, we may be the most expensive, but we get a price that justifies that and more because we never lower our standards. 
you pay your thousand pound a month VBA because we never lower our stands because that allows you to get the best price. And actually it is not a cost. It's an investment in recouping that 10, 15, 20 times over as well. Um, so I think communication and never lowering your standards were the two most sort of crucial things that came out to me as well. And if you, if your communication is exceptionally high level, if your standards are exceptionally high, then you are making sure that your customer interests are always at the forefront of what you do. Those three things and a lot of the other stuff that we talked about there ensures that you do have a business that is very, very, very much on the way to being world-class. So I think that's going to be enough from me today. Um, if you've liked this episode, do me a favor, tag Jonathan Hanford on social media and thank him for it as well. I think one of the things that came out of that conversation uh, at the start was the gratitude that he has for his team for allowing him to live his life by design for allowing him to have that work life blend. And I think actually there are so many people that get value from the people that we interview on this show day in, day out. And they thank us. It's not us that needs to be thanked. You know, we are, as I always sort of talk about just the conjured information for these genuine experts who come in and deliver value week after week for the people who listen to this show. So if you like what you've heard today, the challenge that I issue to you is tag Jonathan Hanford, share the episode, tag Jonathan, thank him for everything that he's just given for the last sort of 42, 43 minutes. Um, and then sneakily like and subscribe to the podcast as well, because we appreciate the support. It's what allows us to continue to do this every week for a bit of fun and to make sure that we continue to bring more people that deliver a lot of value. So thank you, Jonathan Hanford from Final Country. Thank you, Mark Worrell, for enjoying your holiday. And thank you to my daughter for being asleep for this entire episode uh, so that we got some pretty clear audio. That's us for this week. Uh, my name is Sam Hunter. He's Mark Worrell. We will see you again in a week's time.